I'm going to do what we always do. I'm going to start with prayer at Family Bible Church. We're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about uh, Easter this morning. So pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for a chance to be gathered together in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, to tell the story again of the miracle that you not only sent him to live with sinful mankind, but that you called him and he obeyed you to sacrifice himself on the cross. And then when the world would say, well, that's that, it's over, you and your authority, power, and glory raised him from the dead. And we celebrate that today. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that if there are those of us here who have a hard time with that, we wrestle with this, we, we're not sure what that even means. I pray that today, especially us who have a hard time believing, that you would help us to see the truth of the Easter story, the resurrection of God from the dead. Father, uh, I pray that you be glorified through everything that happens in service, uh, including my word, including the hearing, including the work that comes from it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so hopefully you all are are, uh, blessed this morning. I'll mention as we get started again, there's coffee over there. Feel free to help yourself to that. If you're watching online, we welcome you and glad you're streaming with us this morning. Praise the Lord for the technology and the ability to do that. A couple times today already um, at the sunrise service, last year we did not have a sunrise service or a Good Friday service, and it was on the bubble last year. Should we do it or should we not do it? And then everything kind of went, you know, full stop. And uh, someone reminded me, and I have forgotten, but uh, last year... uh, at Easter was our lowest attended Sunday ever at Family Bible Church. I mean, ever, ever. And you know why that was? Because literally, and we never closed the doors, but people weren't coming, and that's fine. Uh, our worship leaders were having babies. Well, one of them was having a baby, and uh, there were three people. I had forgotten that completely until someone reminded me, yeah, it was three people. So praise the Lord that we're together again. We've been thanking him all weekend for the blessing he's given us this year, and even the blessing in waiting this year that we can celebrate Easter again as his church. Easter is a crazy holiday, isn't it? I mean, I, I really think Easter, if you think Easter is, well, of course Easter's not a, I don't know that you're thinking much about Easter, right? I mean, I kid you not, and I, I, I thought about having a picture, I don't have it this morning, but I saw, God is my witness, yesterday I saw a dinosaur putting Easter eggs in somebody's yard. Yes, I did. I saw a seven-foot dinosaur running around with a floppy head and arms putting down eggs in someone's yard. Did I not? Who can bear witness? Anyone? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. A dinosaur in Highland, just when I thought it couldn't get any weirder. (laughs) What is Easter? We have some things up here this morning. We We have a basket, all kind of colors. One of our local businesses makes Easter grass. Did you know that? Do you know what I learned this week? That same material was used to lubricate drills, industrial drills. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, that's what the cellophane's for. You put it around and it keeps the drill from getting too hot and it goes down. I'm like, I thought it was for Easter baskets. (laughs) Apparently it's for both. We have eggs, plastic eggs. We have, oh, we have bobblehead bunny rabbits. We have stuffed bunny rabbits. What? We have candy. What do we, we have eggs, 
like boiled eggs. By the way, who's disappointed when you're a kid and you get a boiled egg instead of a candy egg? <laughs> you know, I used to always feel ripped off. Like if you took your ears back and opened it up and it had more boiled eggs and candy eggs, you're like, what, you don't love me? Who wants to eat boiled eggs on Easter, right? Um, by the way, a funny, a funny story. There were some organizations that were putting out eggs uh, for um, Easter for a donation, and we donated to have some eggs put out at a house of someone we knew, and they didn't get egged. So we called them. We're like, hey, what happened? They go, we egged the wrong house. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I don't know who got the eggs. I'm hoping they're like, what is going on? And then we were telling a friend of us, and they go, you egged someone's house? We're like, not that kind of egg their house, not throwing the raw ones, but putting out the colored ones. What a strange holiday. Wait, we just said it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Easter. But there are bunnies, and there is candy, and there are eggs, and there's a theme of life and death, or death and life. Do you ever think about that? Rabbits reproduce, right? There's something in this holiday that if you look through everything is there, but it's weird. I think it's weird. Today we're starting a series called Second Chance Sundays. We're doing three of these, um, talking about how God always gives us a second chance. And, and I know for some of us, we're talking about this in the last week, some of us get annoyed by the second chances, right? It's like, you had your first chance, that's it, right? But God gives everyone a second chance. And I'm just wondering this morning, as we start the series, wherever you are in your life, could you use a second chance? I mean, really, and, and I know you're, you're probably thinking, well, you know, it's not that bad, but could you use a second chance, a do-over, do-overs in your life? Well, today I want to talk to you about Easter, and I'm going to tell you two truths and a lie. You ever play that game, two truths and a lie? And you can't tell what the lie is, what the truth is, right? I'm going to tell you what the lie and the truth is, though, but I want to tell you about two truths and a lie about Easter and how Easter gives us a guarantee of a second chance. I'm going to read to you, if you want to turn to the, read with you, the, the Gospel of Mar, or Matthew, chapter 28. So go ahead and turn your Bibles there, if you would, Matthew 28, and we're going to just cover the first 10 verses of that chapter. Matthew 28, verse 1 through 10. This is what the Word says. After the Sabbath, at dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, to the women, do not be afraid because I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him. And now I have told you. Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. 
It's the word of the Lord. This is the old uh, Easter story we've heard a whole bunch of times, right? And, and there are a couple different iterations in the Bible, but this is Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want to start by saying this. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead proves that we have a second chance at life. It's a proven fact because of his resurrection from the dead that we have a second chance at life. I want to kind of walk through that text we just read now and talk about how that proves that you and I, you and I, as we are right now, have a second chance in this life. It says this, after the Sabbath, which Dale talked about, the Passover, the blood over the doorpost, where God's judgment doesn't come on God's people, but rather God's enemies, in that moment then, the, the disciples had waited until they can go back to the tomb. At dawn, I love it when it says early. I'm not an early bird, but they got up early that day. On the first day of the week, look who goes. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And so the first thing we see is that there are a couple disciples who are faith-filled. They, they couldn't wait to get back to Jesus. Dead as he was, they were going to go back to the tomb one of the other accounts says they went to prepare his body for burial, but he was already buried. And so they're going back, and what the Gospel of Matthew records is, what's it say? The Marys, and it's, it's Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Mary the mother of Simon, or Simone, I think, however you say that. But the Marys, we'll call them for short, went to look at the tomb. Just to look at it. And I wonder, what were they thinking? Why these three women? And why go back to the tomb? What do they hope to find there? Did they go to grieve some more? Did they bring pounds and pounds of spices to anoint his body some more? Because what they had a chance to do before he was sealed up was not enough. Did they go to lay a wreath in front of the tomb, that they go to cry and wail and moan about the loss that they'd experienced only a few days before. Why did they go? Did they go to grapple and wrestle with everything they'd just been through? Here's a question. Why do we go to graves? Here's another question. Why do we avoid graves? Have you ever been to a graveyard? Some of the headstones are decorated full of flowers, flags, right, trinkets. Uh, you know, you see some things. I've, I've been to graveyards. I've seen like matchbox cars on top of a headstone. Why do people come? To remember? Or to grieve? Oh, to wonder? What just happened? You know what really weird thing about the church of Jesus Christ is we show up at funerals. Not only do we show up, but we worship at funerals. Not only do we worship at funerals, but we show up at the graveside and we say, praise God, he is faithful. Do you know why? Because we're resurrection people. Now, the Marys, they, they didn't know. You remember one of the Marys said, well, I know uh, someday, yes, someday, we'll be raised from the dead. We're talking about her brother Lazarus. But here today, we have the proof. Why do we go? 
The word says that the Marys went to look. And I want to set in that idea today that they went to look. Let's leave the spices aside from that. They went to observe. The word means to wonder, to gaze. Listen to me, to more fully experience the death of Jesus. They went to contemplate, to analyze. In the middle of their observation, let's read the word. It says, they went to look. And in verse 2, there was a violent earthquake. The whole place began to tremble. Why? Because an angel came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And you go, now wait a minute, were the women there? And then all of a sudden the place starts shaking. I don't know that they were because it says that the two guards who were standing by saw the angel and were so afraid they just passed out. Like, I know sometimes you see it in movies where people like get so afraid they just pass out, right? Just, ah, you know? But to have two people who were guarding the tomb to make sure that no one would mess with it, when the earthquake hits, now listen to me, and the messenger from the Lord comes down and rolls away the stone and sits on it, they just fall over dead. They don't have a category for what they are seeing right now. You think they were afraid of Caesar? They were terrified of the Lord. Hear me. They were terrified of his messenger. Well, what was the angel doing there? You remember one of the stories that says the women said, well, who will take the stone away? Right? <laughs> Not them. The angel did. Then I wonder, what did the angel do? Did the angel resurrect Jesus? Did the angel need to open the tomb so that he could finally get out before the women showed up? Nope. You know what I think it was? It was like the magician's assistant. Voila! Listen to me. He was already gone. He was already gone. The angel came to deliver the message that he's already gone. The women would have stood outside of that tomb and they would have grieved as if there's no hope because they took our Savior, our Lord, our Rabbi. But no, earthquake, baby, boom, right? Magic cloth, woo, check it out, people. You know what it was like? It was like an Instagram stunt. Mm. That's what I think it was. You ever seen those? Some of you all, you're like, no. Yeah, I know, I know me neither, but they go like, mm, right? The big gold chain, boom, baby. Check it out. The grave is empty. Listen, you came to grieve. He's already left. <laughs> you came to say his death. He says it's life. He is not here. That's what it is. You know, here's a third image for you. Maybe it's not the, voila. <laughs> Maybe it's not the, Mm, I can't do that very well. Mm, wait, mm, I don't know how to do it. I don't, right? I don't stunt anything in my life. I'm like, eh, okay. Maybe it's like he's sitting on the stone dangling his feet like a child. Look at what God did. Look at what God did. You see, because the angel, he's just there as a messenger for what God had in fact done in Jesus Christ. He was there to demonstrate, listen to me, the glory of Jesus Christ. I heard someone say one time, uh, what do you think the angels saw when they saw Easter? Because you know, angels aren't like us. 
I mean, they're God's created beings, but they're not like us. They don't have the absence nor know the love. They don't, they, they see it happening. It was like, check it out, humans. He is not in the grave. You see, the angels didn't do anything. They only revealed, revealed what God had done. I want to take you on a quick sidebar here this Easter Sunday. We got this morning, we talked at the resurrection, at the Easter sunrise service, right? The resurrection service about what's happening. And I was reminded that in the garden, Eve took the fruit. I'm just going to sit on that for a minute. Eve took the fruit. Adam's there being a dope. He was supposed to have the rules. He did, obviously nobody, he didn't say something. It's his fault in some way. I'm not blaming Eve, but I've talked to people that go, why do women always get the bad rap in the Bible? How, what's going on with women in the Bible? Oh, I, I've had brides say to me, you can say any verse in my wedding, but not that one. I'm like, which one? <laughs> not the one about submission. Not the one about weaker vessels. Not the one, there's a list of them, right? Um, by the way, that's a terrible thing to say to a pastor. <laughs> don't talk about that verse. It's just like the elephant in the room. Like, how do I not talk about that verse? Because what does it mean? Listen to me. Listen to me. Who gets to go and see? The women. The women. They're the ones that show up. In every gospel account, they go and tell the men, he's risen from the dead. In one gospel account, the men say, you're crazy. That's how far from believing they are. In the Gospel of John, it says that they had a race, and then one guy stood outside, and the other looked inside, and, you know, all this kind of male competitive garbage that's happening, you know. But, and they believe, praise the Lord, but women get the revelation. Listen, if you want to talk about anything, you have to be holistic in your interpretation of the Bible. And if we see in the garden that Eve took the apple and bit it and gave it to her husband, you have to see in the New Testament that the Mary showed up at the tomb, saw the resurrection of Jesus, and went back and gave it to the guys. You have to see it. It's right there in every book of his resurrection. So the women are, get the revelation that he's already gone. He's already gone. As a matter of fact, not only that, but check it out. It says, um, the angel told the women in verse 5, don't be afraid because I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, affirming the whole experience. He is not here. He has risen. I want to talk for a minute about the tense there. He is not currently here because he has, past tense, raised from the dead, been raised from the dead, come back to life just like he said he would. And then they invite, come and see where he laid before, where he used to be. He's no longer here. Now, I want you to see verse seven. To the women, then go quickly and tell his disciples, methetes, the learners. Here's the quote. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of all of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. And the angel's like, and now you've been told, right? And now you've been told, ladies, go do your thing. And they do. Oh, I love it. I love the word. Listen to it. Look at verse 8. So the women hurried off. Yeah, baby. 
They're on a mission from God. <laughs> you know, like that quote? Huh? We're on a mission from God. <laughs> These women are on a mission from God, and they're going to go, and they're going to do exactly what God told them to do. But look at what it says. They, were, they left the tomb. They were afraid, yet filled with joy. They were afraid, fearful, and yet fear, filled with joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. Now, I wonder what in the world is going on in the women's head that they're now afraid, but filled with joy. Right? You think about what the, the guards are still laying there, passed out from this experience. And the women are dealing with it, right? They're, they've heard it. But now they've been given instructions and they're running away. That's how I say, run away, right? Mm-mm-mm-mm. With this message. But they're kind of running. You ever run when you're afraid of something? I remember one time I was at a church camp with a bunch of students and uh, it was dark and I was at the shower house. And then there was this really creepy bush thing next to the campground. All this was mowed, that wasn't. And I was playing it cool, like I'm just going to walk. And something rustled over there. I started kind of fast walking in. It rustled again, kind of behind me over here. And then I started beating it, baby. I'm running because I'm afraid. That's how they run. They're kind of like going, what was that? I mean, you can imagine the conversation they're having with each other. Like, I don't know. They're probably holding their dress up, running down. Like, oh, my gosh. But they're filled with joy. They're no longer grieving. They're no longer hopeless, but they're filled with fear and joy. I can imagine they were just running, looking. Oh, did you see that? What was that about? And I want you to see something, church, that even in the middle of this great revelation, even in the middle of this great instruction, Jesus interrupts their trip. It says, then suddenly, just like that, Jesus meets them, the women. Greetings, he said. And they came to him. Listen, they clasped his feet and they began to worship him. And they just said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Why do you think they were afraid? Why were they so afraid that the angel said, don't be afraid? And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. And in the middle, they were kind of still afraid. They were still fearful, running from the tomb. Listen to me. What does resurrection mean? Here's the weird thing about resurrection, by the way. Our culture is infatuated with resurrection. If you don't think so, look at the films that are produced. People back from the dead, right? The whole zombie thing. It's like, you know, it, it's, 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 it's like we're not comfortable with comfort. We love it. We don't understand it. We're confused by it. What's going on with resurrection? And I think that same thing. And here's what Jesus says to them and to us. Do not be afraid. What are they afraid of? An empty tomb? Uh, what are they afraid of when they saw Jesus alive? At that point, you think to be like, oh, I'm safe. Did you ever have that um, game when you're a kid that you play tag or whatever and someone makes an adult the safe base? You ever have that? And you're the adult? You're like, stop, you know? That's how it feels to me. They run up, they just like clasp his feet. We're safe. Maybe if you're a baseball fan, they were sliding into Jesus, you know? Safe. And they got on their face. They began to worship Jesus. What do we, hear me, church, fear? What do you fear? Whether you know Christ or not, what are you afraid of in this life? You see, a few years ago, it was the YOLO thing, which I know is kind of like so 2010 or whatever it was when YOLO was a thing, probably 2018, the way we moved through things. You only live once, young people said. You want to jump off a cliff? May as well, because you only live once. 
It might be shorter if you jump off cliffs, but sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to paddle across the Atlantic? You only live once. Okay, you're going, that's not for me, Bill. I'm not a YOLO kid. How about FOMO? Are you a FOMO person? You know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out. Man, if I don't go to that thing, if I don't get that thing, if I don't have that experience, I'll never have the chance again. I got to do it. Maybe you're not the FOMO crowd. You're not afraid of missing out on nothing, right? How about a bucket list? Are you all working through a bucket list? What are you afraid of that if you don't get done before you're dead, you won't get a chance to do? Give me the list. Well, you know, we just got a bucket list, and we just got to get these things off our bucket list before we die. Listen to me. What do we think death is? What do we think death is? I told you all one time I was driving through the mountains of Tennessee. Mountains are like hills, but, you know, they're beautiful. Driving down through the Smoky Mountains on a two-lane road, which, by the way, the people who pay those roads are a gift from God. You know, if you like to drive, go to Tennessee, man. You would think it's illegal to do what they've done with roads down there. 55-mile-an-hour two-lane oncoming traffic around, like, you know, 20-mile-an-hour turns. You can just... You know, and so I was having my race car experience with my wife, and um, we were talking about life and death, what we want to do with our life, and then it hit me. Listen, what if death isn't the end, but the beginning? What if your FOMO isn't what you have to do now before you die, but what you get to do forever after you're raised? What if the YOLO is you only live once, but you only live once forever? All of a sudden, we get to reinterpret our decisions we get to have a second chance at life. What if your bucket list don't have to be done by the time you kick the bucket? Because you will live forever in his kingdom on earth. This is the way we kind of skew the view of death. Well, that's it. It's over. No. That's what Easter says. It is not over. As a matter of fact, uh, if I could share with you Acts um, chapter 2, verse 14, Peter, or 24, Peter, I think, yeah, there he goes, Peter, when he's given his testimony about Jesus, and I preach this, I'm not going to re-preach it, but I want you to see it again, talking about Jesus, he said, after he was killed on the cross, but God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, why? Because it was not possible for death to hold him. It was not possible that Jesus the Christ, the one who came to save the world, could not be held down by death. And that means in his resurrection life, we have a second chance. We have a chance forever with Jesus. And I want you to see that no matter what you've done or where you've been today, Jesus Christ offers you a second chance at life. Another way that verse can be interpreted is that it says that um, uh, it was not possible for him to be held or to be chained. You see, this is great. We sang the song, Hell Was Overcome. He defeated death by death in one of the songs we sang. It was like, now we finally got him. God has to obey this. Death is the curse of sin. And Jesus was raised to life. Breaking, the Bible says, literally the chains of death. And that was the chains of death for Jesus, but it's the chains of death for fear of death for us. It's a new hope, a new life, a new way forward. So here's another question then. If Jesus Christ guarantees you a second chance at life, no matter where you are and what you've done, no matter how good or bad you've been in this life, no matter what you're facing, what would you do with it? 
What if someone came to you today and they said, we're shaking the etch a sketch, try again. What would you do with your life? Because that's the opportunity we have in Jesus, a guarantee, not just for this life, but for the life to come. And that brings me to my second point, that if Jesus is our second chance at life, then how, do we, how can we grapple with our own sinfulness? And here's the second truth I want you to know about Easter, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. There is no sin too great for God. You can be forgiven. There's no sin that's too great for God to deal with. You, you, in your life, can be forgiven for everything. I'm gonna work from 1 Peter 3 today, 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22. There's a few verses here. And this is giving us the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ, the second chance at life, because he has paid for our sin. So uh, 1 Peter 3, 18. Because Christ died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Look at what the word says. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To bring you to God. Like Peter's testimony in his letter is right there. And by the way, I'm working on a whole other thing with Peter and Judas and everything. I've been praying through it. But man, Peter's life is extraordinary because of the way God demonstrates his grace to Peter and then teaches Peter to be graceful to others because he's not automatically graceful to others. He's not. But here Peter says that Jesus died on the cross to save you, to redeem you. What? He died sins, died for sins once for all, Jesus did. No more recurring sacrifices, no more need to feel guilty and ashamed, no more fear of God's judgment because he was righteous and we were unrighteous. And he did that to, what's the word say, bring us to God. Uh, by the way, one of the things I think about with our modern worship music is we kept saying, me, 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 you know, like me, 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 like that's how the, all the songs go. My savior, my Lord, my victor, my church, my, 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 me, me, me. Uh, how about us? How about uh, you go, well, you know, maybe not those people, but me. No, 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 maybe those people and you. Wait, wait, wait. How about the generations of salvation? The, the sin of all time. How about the sins of those that don't yet know Christ? He died for. He's redeeming us. He died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring all of us, y'all, to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, through whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed, now listen to this, long ago, as God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. I cannot tangent here, but I'm just going to mention it. God, while Noah was building the ark, right, was just waiting because he had had enough of humanity. And that's the story that Peter invokes when he talks about the grace of Jesus Christ, the salvation of Jesus. He's like, he's just being patient. And Noah's like, click, 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 you know, the whole thing. Neighbors making fun of Noah, you know, what are you doing? You know, I'm building a boat. Okay, dude. Oop, crazy people. Because God had said, I am going to judge the earth and it will be destroyed and you need to take refuge in me while you can. And here's Noah, click, 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 building an ark, right? What does it say? In the ark. Only a few, eight in all, were saved through the waters. They were saved through the flood. If you're reading the Bible in a year with us, we just read about Noah and the flood. The whole earth was washing 
The sin was being cleansed, but Noah and his family were being saved. Indeed, they were being passed over in God's judgment. What's it say? Jesus went and proclaimed to those who were in prison, who disobeyed long ago, while God waited patiently for the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So Jesus is proclaiming freedom for the captives who were disobedient long ago. Look at what it says. In it, only a few were saved, eight in all, and they were saved through water. Now here's where it turns on us, because you go, well, that's Noah and the ark and back then. Listen to me. And this water also saves you. This water symbolizes the baptism that now saves you also. Not the water of the flood, but the flood of Jesus Christ to preserve us for eternal life. The flood of the water that he's given to us. Not the removal of dirt from the body, so unless you think that, you gotta get dipped in holy water to be saved. That's not what it says. Not to be, not to be cleansed of your filth in your body, your you know, dirty parts or whatever, but a pledge of a clear conscience toward God that he died in your stead, and that if you claim Jesus as Savior, there is no sin that separates you from God. None. And that's true for anybody. And I can't tell you how many people I talked to, and they said, yeah, but you don't know me. And I think, I don't have to know you, because I know me, and he's saving me. He'll save you. He'll save anyone who would make a pledge of a clear conscience toward God. God, I need you. I need you to save me. Look at what else it says in 21. This water saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The water is cleansing. You know, we, sell, we did a dedication a few weeks ago. We got some baptisms coming up. We, we baptize and we put people under and pull them up. It's just water, people. But it's a recognition that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. That just like Noah, we're being preserved through the sinful generation. And, and that is not to judge them, that's to invite them into the ark. Get in, baby. It's going to get deep. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus, this same water. So we know that we have the cleansing of our sin. I want you to hear that. We know that he suffered once for sin, and we know that he did it to bring us to God. So how do we, how do, we do this then? Um, you, you rely on Jesus, and I'm gonna, um, you don't have to turn there. I think I have it up here, but Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 19 and 20, read like this. And his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. What? The glorious riches of his grace to his saints. What? Listen. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. You know what Paul does there in Ephesians? He says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now enables us to be right with God. The same resurrection power that, that caused the empty tomb causes us to come out of death into life in him. That same power, Paul says, is at work in, here's the word, church, us. Who? Those who are believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told you a few weeks ago, someone said, man, how do you tell the Easter story again without being boring? And I'm like, how do you not tell the Easter story? And how can you not tell it in a way that's excited? Because the same power is at work in you, church, in you. The work of the gospel of Jesus bringing us from death to life is work in us. That's the hope of Easter. So 
If that's true, if the same power that raised Christ from the dead is working us, what sin can keep us from a second chance in Jesus? What can keep us away? How about someone that you love, you've been sharing, you've been praying for? What can keep them away? You're like, man, I just want them to know Jesus. I just want them to know Jesus. You know one of the most freeing things for me is that whenever I invite people to know Jesus, they don't have to come to my church. They don't have to agree with everything I say. They, don't have, they just have to trust Jesus for salvation and begin to walk with him. If that's true, what can keep them from salvation? What sin can separate them? See, I am not too mad at non-believers thinking they don't have a chance. I'm not too angry about that. But I am disappointed when the church sees in a simple person a hopeless case. I can't stand it. Because he says the work that raised Jesus from the dead is a work in us. That means there's always gospel hope. There's always gospel hope. Can we be the people that proclaim there's no sin too big for God? Can you join me in Easter saying there's no sin too great for God? I hope, I hope so, because people need a second chance in Christ. We'll close here then. Here's the lie. There's always time. There's always time. Now, I'll tell you what, church. I think that uh, unbelievers will often say, oh, I'll get to it later, you know? I've had someone tell me one time, they said, um, I'm going to wait till I'm on my deathbed so, so I can have all the fun I want and then I can confess Jesus as Savior and be saved because I read the, I know the parts of the Bible that says that and I can just do it and I'll be good to go. You know, just punch my ticket and I'll get the best of both worlds, right? Uh, hell on earth, heaven forever, I guess would be the theory. But you know what? What do you do whenever you're living the life of sinfulness? Uh, but the church, like, where are we, man? It'll be fine. Uh, what's the rush? You know what 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3 says? Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you because you know very well, listen to this, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, judgment will come like a thief in the night. That ought to frighten people. While people are saying to one another, peace and safety, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains strike a pregnant woman and they will not escape judgment. We don't have forever. We don't have forever. What does it mean that the time is limited in our lives? Hebrews 9, 27, 28 says this, just as people are destined once to die and immediately face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, but he will not appear again to bear our sin, but he will appear again to bring salvation, and here's the word, to those who are waiting upon him. That's our hope in Jesus Christ. We stand and wait, but here, there will not always be time. Just like the days of Noah, we are standing on the precipice of judgment every day, every breath, and we ought not ignore it. What gospel hope can we share? Are you ready for a thief in the night? You know what always happens when someone breaks in your house and steals your stuff? You go, if I'd have known, I'd have been there. But you've been warned, like a thief in the night. Are you ready? Do you have a fear of judgment? 
Or are you waiting for salvation? Oh, Lord, come. Lord Jesus, come. Here's another question. Do you need a second chance in Jesus? Do you know somebody else who needs a second chance in Jesus? I guarantee you this. He offers it to each one of us. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for this day of second chances. The day of a resurrection story that comes again to tell us that you are not done. That no matter our state in life, no matter our sinfulness, no matter our age, young or old, that you died to bring us to you. That you gave your son Jesus that we might be free. I pray this morning that as we contemplate that reality, that in this Easter season, we would celebrate resurrection hope. That we would not grieve as those who have no hope, but knowing Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. May you empower us by the same spirit that worked in him to raise him from the dead to raise us to new life right now. That we would be sanctified, that we would be glorifying to you, and that we share good news with others. Um, Lord, today, maybe there's someone that thinks, yeah, but not me. I, I don't know how after all that they would think that, Father, but I pray that you, as their maker, as their creator, would speak into their hearts and say, yes, even you. Of course you. Father, for the, the soul today that needs a second chance and doesn't even feel like they have a right to ask, the one who's uh, burned up second chance, third chance, fourth chance, people who love them are abandoning them, oh God, would you intervene? Would, would, they, would, would you compel them to reach out to you for your second chance in life? We love you so much and we praise you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.